welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by CityCo, the City Centre Management Company for Manchester and Salford. See, I'm stumbling now because I've said that so many times. My brain is trying to come up with new ways of saying it all. Um, we are revisiting beer, pubs, nightlife, all that stuff that we've been talking about uh, on and off for the last couple of months. This is virtually the last one in this series before we break the summer uh, and then come back in the autumn. So we've got a couple of licensees in, in Victorian language landladies uh, with us. Um, do we like the term landladies? Is that, is that all right? Or does it yeah, I don't think it's offensive. <laughs> I find it regal, but a little ageing. Regal, <laughs> ageing, yeah. It does, you think you should have curlers in at that point. You, you haven't today, so... Not you know. today, no. Um, I'm talking to Esther Mailer, uh, manager licensee of the Eagle, and landlady of the Eagle, and Steffi Price from Gulliver's on... Oldham Street in the Northern Quarter. Um, so we're going to talk through really how they got to be in their exalted positions. Um, they're watching me fiddle with the volume as we're doing this. So it's, I'm just trying to get this right so I don't boom exciting. too much. Um, how they got to where they got where they are. Um, what's happening with pubs generally? How they resurrected, regenerated the two pubs that they work for and work in. Uh, and then also a little bit about um, what's happening in some of the areas. Uh, there's been a lot of publicity around uh, the future of live music venues. Um, the Eagle, particularly. How many nights a week do you do live music? More and more, it seems. Some some weeks, every night of the week. Um, you're also very busy as well. Aren't we? Yeah, oh, we yeah. actually have two spaces now. So we have an upstairs space, which has generally bigger bands, and a smaller space for acoustic and um, small spoken word uh, acts that are starting to try and get out there, but obviously don't have the audiences for bigger spaces. So we've created a small space for them to try and start their things. Which is really important, I think, for that... Um, Whole scene, actually. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning then. Okay. Esther. That's me. <laughs> when did you start working in bars? How did you move from working How in bars to becoming a licensee and running them? What was the attraction? Have you always seen it? Did you, as a six year old, see yourself <laughs> running a pub? Well, Vaughn, as a six year old, I wanted to be a mermaid when I grew up. Um, I didn't what know. What stopped of... you? You can be anything you want to be. I well, tell my daughters that all the time. That was a crushing realization <laughs> when I turned seven that I couldn't. Um, I, uh, I've worked in various bars at, through university and even before then, um, finished university, hadn't really decided what I was going to do, um, kept applying for and getting onto um, master's courses and then deciding at the last minute that I didn't want to do them because I wasn't quite a grown up yet. Um, and then my good friends who I was in a band with at the time, a band called Bidebeck, um, John, uh, Rupert Hill and Johnny Booth, they got the castle on Oldham Street and I just needed a job um, so I ended up being a bar person there and then accidentally ended up running the place because there was, everyone else was busy um, and then um, sometime later my parents suggested to me I think against their better judgment that it, instead of working for someone else if I loved it that much why didn't I think about doing something for myself as well um, which is quite hard for my dad who's a vicar to sort of get his head around that one, I think. Um, and then I ended up at the Eagle because I sort of accidentally fell in love with it and thought, oh, that's going to disappear if someone silly like me doesn't... <laughs> so when, when was that? So just over six years ago now. Um, yes. It's been an interesting six years. And what was the state of the Eagle when you well, I mean, first saw it? And... I, it? It didn't really... It was very, very, very quiet... Um, it was a very different pub. I wouldn't like to speak unfondly of it as it was because uh, I'm sure some people really liked it like that, but it wasn't feasible as it was business-wise. I think it was costing Holtz about 10 grand a year to keep it open. It was a managed house. Um, it was three large tellies in the very small three rooms. Um, 
So that was the entertainment? Yes, it was. Uh, it sort of opened about 10 in the morning and shut about 8 at night. Uh, mainly frequented by a lovely bunch of 80-year-old people who liked watching the racing. Um, yeah, we tried to keep them when we took on the place, but it was never going to work out because I have an aversion to certain types of racist language and um, they had an aversion to high, buy, high beer prices, so <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of easy. Uh, yeah. And then we built the music venue. That was, a, as it was, it was a derelict house, the last remaining terrace on the street from when the pub was built, um, which Holtz had owned for a while. It was used as a fire escape. So Holtz were really good. Managed to persuade them to spend money on that. And I'm really proud of that one, actually, because you can't take credit for a pub because they sort of already exist, don't they? Mm -hmm. You can help them, help them shine. But yeah, um, it's quite a unique, strange little space. And yes... That's a bit of my story so far. Cool. And Steffi? I always sound so boring if I have to talk straight after you. You'd have warned me this beforehand yeah. if I started with you. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got a similar story, really. I was in Manchester for university. I'd been working in bars alongside it just uh, to make have some money, some spending money. Uh, I actually... With, when I moved to Manchester, ended up working with Esther very early on in the old monkey on Portland Street. Uh, and she knew I hated that job. And when she was working at the castle, she called me up one day and said, do you want to work here instead? And uh, so that's how I ended up moving over. When I finished uni, my idea was to get straight out of bar work as quickly as I could. But Johnny Booth uh, said, you don't fancy uh, managing it with uh, Esther now, do you? So I had a full-time job immediately. Uh, and it turned out, after all of that, once my degree was finished, that the bit I'd actually been loving was the bar work and not the degree. Uh, and it became very clear to me very quickly that that was the case. So, yeah, together me and Esther ran the castle for a little bit for Johnny and Rupert. We were a dream team. Yeah, I know. We were. You were the charm and I was the The two uh, things admin. she's not good at, I, I got covered, and everything else was Steffi Price. Um, uh, and then, yeah, Esther went to go and run the Eagle alongside Johnny and Rupert, and I talked to Johnny and Rupert and told them I'd like to do something similar. And about a year and a half later, Gulliver's came up, um, and we'd seen the room upstairs, it's absolutely beautiful, ornate ceiling and always known when that comes up, we want it. So the second the sign was being hung because we could see it from the castle, we were ringing up and getting in there, basically. Because <laughs> um, Gulliver's always used to be the place that you scurried past on your way to the castle, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And there were some people who had it in the meantime and Leroy, my manager, he, ran it, he was there for a little bit before me and around that time it was okay, but the guys who owned it didn't put any work into the venue, they just took an old, dirty space and put musicians in it and thought that's all it was mm. that people would be happy to uh, stand on carpets that held booze that was there from the 80s there's what yeah. issues on the way out <laughs> a heritage beer carpet. <laughs> <laughs> um <coughs> sorry and then yeah so again working alongside lee's we actually put the work into the venue there um but working alongside lee's we managed to turn the downstairs around really it was a dark space it had bars on the windows it looked scary um uh, but together we came with a plan to make it a much lighter space a much more beautiful space um and make it look more like a traditional pub in our eyes should look big nice bar not a little dirty one in the corner covering up windows the bar's the soul of the pub yeah um and yeah they were great with me with that um and really took on board our ideas knowing that different people want different things and working with their tenants or as they call them now pub partners I don't think I'm allowed to say tenant anymore okay <laughs> working alongside their pub partners to give each of their pubs a different personality 
Uh, yeah, so and I've been there about four and a half years now. Mm. So that's a tenanted from a brewery? Yes, so both same as me. Oh. The same as, same as yeah, we're both very similar structurally. We've both got the same silent business partners. Yeah. Um, and it, our tenants are, well, pub partners are breweries. <laughs> yeah. But different breweries. So I'm JW Lees. And I, um, I'm Joseph Holtz. We both have those traditions. Who are involved, like, in, in the city. The long, well, long standing, old school, traditional Manchester family brewers. Yeah, yeah well, there's something. We, oh, sorry. Yeah, well, no, I was going to say, t- talk, talk a bit about that because you get the impression that some of the nationals wouldn't necessarily have the same willingness to work with you. Whereas, I mean, I've heard a lot about Holtz and uh, Robinson's further north as well, but, mm-hmm. and I guess Black Sheep over, over the other side of the Pennines. That, you know, the, the, Broadly speaking, they have a fairly good relationship with most of their tenants. It's really important, yeah. I mean, yeah. we both work at the castle with Robinsons too. Yeah, so we've worked with the, the three, three main, main families in Manchester. Because um, obviously, if you if you just uh, have a leasehold or something, or you you rent off a pub company, you, your choices about what you can buy are obviously easier and stuff like that. Um, but you really don't have that same support. Like it is more of it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, it is a pub partnership, um, and. She stole my sentence there. Oh, way. sorry. I said that to her like a week ago. <laughs> As said Steffi Price to me in Folk and Soul last week. Um, yeah. I, I, and there's kind of more to it as well. I mean, obviously we have, like we said, the symbiotic relationship. Uh, Lee's, particularly with me, have been incredibly supportive. Any problems I have, I phone them. And um, we had an issue with having too many people in the venue recently. Uh, and within two months of being told that, I had a brand new fire escape built for me by the brewery because they knew that that is the heart and soul of my business and I am the heart and soul of their business, you know. So they're incredibly supportive. And because I guess they get to know you a little bit better, the smaller regional breweries, it does mean that they can get to understand what your business is a little bit better than the national breweries. It's the same, like everybody knows each other's names in the Holtz and yeah. with you like if yeah. someone talks about Steffi they'll know who they mean in the whole yeah. company won't they? <laughs> which is really nice because I think pubs have their own personalities and if you shut the wrong person in the wrong pub it's not going to work so to have an understanding of your own pubs and the people that you want working in them is, is obviously really important is there a real sense with those those two particularly but I guess also with Robinson's that you worked with that that they are still family yeah. And, they, and, they, and they treat those who work for them as extended part of that family. Yeah, absolutely. And I even get it from my draymen. Yeah. Like my draymen have worked there for thir- like 30 years for the same people. They, they know the family themselves, you it know. It says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Like if it, someone wants to stay around that long, it's because they've been treated well. And it's you really, know. I think Holtz are really um, impressed. I'm impressed with the way they're doing a lot of their sort of HR stuff. Like there's a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like in-house training, moving up the ladder, um, opportunities and stuff like within the company. What we call CPD. Yeah. So, yes, thank you. In the corporate world. Dave Moran, my area manager, I asked him how he got into it because I thought maybe that's something I'd be interested in in the future. And he started off as an apprentice straight out of school and is now in one of the highest jobs in the brewery. And, you know, that's another show that they see everyone as family and how to develop them and working Mm. with their employees, their pub partners, tenants, whatever. Yeah. I think it's it's good. It's sort of seeding from your own field. <laughs> I think the other thing I like about working with a brewery like that is the history that comes with it. 
So we were talking earlier about, you know, you can sit at the bar and the, um, a lot of the beer might not have changed at all, although you might be, have more options. And so maybe some of the people might have changed. For example, you probably wouldn't have had the, us running the pub. But the conversations are probably still the same and the feelings are probably still the same about mm. in the same space. Yeah, and the, the walls have heard all, all these different things at yeah. the time. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I mean, I used the, the phrase, the word la- landlady earlier. But, I mean, how do you... Because both of you are in quite historic pubs it's not like they they suddenly came into being as new bars 10 years ago Mm -hmm. so um how do you think the role of the landlord stroke landlady has changed in that 100 plus years that that these pubs have existed or do you think there's still an essential central core which is your part councillor part provider of you're definitely part councillor if you do it properly in the old school manner which i've decided to then not much at all i mean my my i my sort of like dream with attempting to do something with the eagle i suppose was to just try and recreate that old school sense of community like people had it when they went to church and then everyone stopped going to church and then that working class pub thing really was quite important community wise um and that's sort of been chipped away a, a lot over the over the years um and i just really like that as a sen- sensibility like it, it's not a youth club but but it is a community and uh, there's the same faces behind the bar and you're not just a, a, a purse to shake out sorry I keep <laughs> moving away from my microphone um yeah you, you're, you're not you're not three pound ten that I'm waiting to get you're, you're you're interesting which makes it harder but um much more interesting I think that works with the venue side as well mm. because one of the things we wanted to be is a community space and not greedy on that side and you mm. know Johnny Booth our business partner had had experience in promoting live music and discovered there's very little money to be made there um, and an awful lot of hassle yeah you know oh, yeah. Esther Rupert and Johnny are musicians as well and know how, how much effort and little money there is to be made in music um, and so the idea of creating these spaces was to make them affordable so everybody could um, benefit mm. and people were more willing to take risks and do more interesting things so we don't just have the same bands coming through time and time again. It's giving everyone a chance, isn't it? Yeah, and not just the music, like we said, we create small spaces for things that struggle to pick up audiences quickly, like the spoken word um, kind of things, or comedy when you're just starting out, create these smaller spaces mm which you can fill early on and start to build yourself and build your name around. It's really important for art in general, isn't it? Like, you, you need someone to give you a chance to grow your ideas. If, if you can only get a gig when you're fully established, then what you're doing is cutting out a massive amount of potentially interesting artists that we could, we could have in the city. And, and as a cold business decision, in, in running a venue or running a, a pub, to actually have that sort of scene, in quotes, mm. yeah. uh, a very active creative scene is a really useful thing to do as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Well, it's to, nice. To, it to be their home and mm. an extension of their front room where they go to make plans and invent album titles or whatever. Well, we could probably charge more for like renting out space and stuff, but we don't want to because we don't want to be greedy. Like we're happy to make money on the beer, but also yeah, if there's nothing spaces going. Will, will charge you thousands of pounds a day to do a, a creative think space, which yeah. is basically white wall. <laughs> Sitting. And you can be in a pub with better beer. Yeah, exactly for free. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if there's nothing going on and the pub's open, I'm happy for anybody to go in there and use it as a rehearsal space or something too, because it it just seems really mean not to, and. Yeah, a lot of places won't do that. Um, talk to me a little bit about the history of both pubs, or as much as much as you know about. Okay, the we we, uh, we didn't come unprepared for this. <laughs> um, so we actually both of them we lost sh- pubs of old Manchester Volume <laughs> Five. <laughs> yeah. Say that. Um, no, uh, we, directly from the breweries to uh, make sure we don't embarrass ourselves. Actually, uh, so early eighteen hundreds is the beginning of uh, JW Lee's, um, and. 
they actually specifically say that's at a time where the average working class man uh, drank 12 pints of beer a day. Uh, women slightly because, less. Yeah. <laughs> women 11 and a half. Yeah. Um, but uh, mainly, just so they didn't have to drink the water and get cholera. So obviously the business has changed quite a lot since then. Uh, beer's become a luxury rather than a necessity. It was probably not quite as strong. Like, I imagine so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess if you had a really physical job for 12 hours a day, then... Well, yeah, yeah. this was I'm in the middle of factory work too, which is quite laughable now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the idea of huge heavy machinery without any health and safety 12 pints in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like it. <coughs> and what did, when did you say that Holtz came to be? Um, 1849 was the beginning of Holtz Brewery. And uh, the Eagle specifically was actually rebuilt in 1903. Uh, it had been there formerly, but smaller, smaller on the site. So the Eagle's like not too long after the beginning of it all, really. Mm-hmm. How long has Gulliver's been there as well, a building? Well, we when I first opened, we spent quite a lot of time trying to find the history of Gulliver's. Finding the history of the castle was quite easy, uh, but Gulliver's was much more difficult... We found an application for a liquor license um, late 1800s, uh, but it was actually a rejected application. We do know that before that was a hotel. We're not sure if it sold alcohol anyway. Um, we do know at one point it was um, like a, a safe space in the gay community. Um, there used to be some like clubs around there, secret clubs back when it wasn't necessarily safe. Uh, it used to have uh, a mason's meeting upstairs and we found some odd artefacts. I'm from sure you there. did. <laughs> yeah. Mainly just like pipes that everybody's etched into, nothing dark. Oh, that's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, nothing dark. Um, and uh, J.W. Lees took it over in the 1970s when it became Gulliver's. Before that, it was called um, the Grenadier. And before that, it was called the Albert Hotel and the pub was called the Albert Bolts. So that's the... It was like I said. It was quite difficult to find much history. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's quite easy with the eagle one because, um, well, everyone everyone seems to know it. Yeah. Uh, has it always been the eagle? Well, yes, it has. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me about this because um, it, it's a long-standing nickname of the lamp oil, which has never been the eagle's name. And you can this is proved by the fact that there is an eagle and the words "the eagle" etched into the brickwork from when it was built. Um, the but I think people. Pr- People like to refer to it by its nickname because it's sort of like harking back to uh, prior days when it was in former glory before the little the little dip before I got it, maybe. And I think it's sort of a bit of an anti-hipstery kind of statement about what you're calling it did as well. You, did you tell me that it was because there used to be a shop next door where they sold lamp oil, so the men would go to get the lamp oil but stop in for a quick pint as well? Yeah, it's either that or, or the landlord actually owned that shop okay. and sometimes sold lamp oil from behind the bar. So it was so you could the lamp the... oil shop. You as well as your way home. As well as, exactly, as well as big <laughs> bar. Entrepreneurial. Right? Health and safety as well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you're talking about it not actually being able to find a lot of the history. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you look at it, and the same thing I think happens with, with some retailers as well. You can be at the heart of a community for 100 years, 80, and then 10 years later, almost nobody actually remembers you. you know, it's terrifying. When, when you go on some of the, uh, the sort of memory uh, reminiscence mm. places on, on Facebook, of places that I know really well, and people will talk about a pub that closed five years before you moved to a place and you've never heard of and there are no photos on Google and it just doesn't exist. And it's very strange how all of this can get it's just mad, wiped isn't out it? and forgotten. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think camera are really good for that. Like, I've got a few, and it might not be, as in the campaign for Real Ale. Um, I don't know if they're 
specifically camera books, but um, pubs of pubs of Manchester volumes one, two, and three are actually fascinating. So, in a way, they're really whoever's done those. I think they're camera affiliated. It's really important. That, like, there's nowhere else to find all that collated history, mm-hmm. even if it's just someone's name and how long they were there. But if there's any other stories, or it's, it's all in it, and that's it covers specific areas. Absolutely fascinating. Do you know in the eagle area where the eagle is now? In quarter of a spare, in quarter of a square mile, there were eight pubs, eight, and one was called the Quiet Woman, which is a name that I love and hate <laughs> because it's funny, but also I'm a feminist. <laughs> uh, whether people went there to escape from their wives, wives? Or whether that was the female pub in. Well, yeah, that's where wives went to escape from their, their annoying husbands. I don't know. Yeah. But that's been gone a long time. I think that's a, there is something different there about pubs than bars and retailers, though, is that the buildings last, they stay as what they are generally, unless, I mean, some of them closing down are becoming Tesco's, whatever. But in the city, you can see that the long-standing pubs are all still there, still doing the same things. And it's, it's hard to try and um, explain how the vague difference between a bar and a pub, isn't it? Because some some things that I class as a pub don't aren't in a traditional pub building. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to sort of figure out what the rule is. I, I, my general rule of thumb with pubs and bars is in, in a bar or a restaurant, mainly the customer's probably right, but in a, in a pub, the staff are. <laughs> and that's how you tell I, the difference. Say, if you can buy pork scratchings, it's a pub. There you go. <laughs> yeah. If the, you can only buy artisanal, self-designed mm. pork bits, then it's probably a bar. Of that's true, sort. yeah. And if there's a price, if there's a, a pint that you can get for under five quid... There you go. Then it's more likely to and be And if a there's a man it. sat in a chair that's clearly only the only one he's allowed to sit in that chair, that's fast. Yeah, pub. And yeah. drinking something like chartreuse. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> one glass of chartreuse before you go. I love um, it. No, but it's, I mean, it is interesting. Obviously, that so many pubs would be closing, um, whether that's connected to the smoking ban or whatever and, and to various other things that are going on in society. But all, equally, there's this, this counter move of um, communities buying and paying for mm. pubs and certainly a lot of the villages where I come, come from in, in Yorkshire the pub is the last remaining the post office is gone the shop has gone the pub is the last thing and where they're affluent enough investing in that pub is mm. seen as a very very worthwhile thing otherwise you never see your neighbours because you're just going to get in your car well, and drive well exactly you go, there is the importance of the pub really... yeah well there's a pub uh, not too far from us the star that's a uh... I've done the community-owned pub thing too. It's interesting. Uh, I've got a regular called Amber, and she's from America. And the one thing she... We were talking the other day about culture shock of her when she first... Mainly because she's just been to Japan, but <laughs> her culture shock when she first came here, even though it's the same language, everything. Uh, and she was saying she couldn't get her head around... You've finished work and you came to the pub. In, in America, you go home, you drink, you don't go out till midnight... And then you see everyone. But she was like, the pub is the whole community. If you're not like that, you're missing out. If you're not there, you're not. That's where everyone revolves around in everyone's lives. You'll meet there. If you're, even if you're going to dinner, you meet at the pub first. Or if you mm. are going to a club later, you still, you meet at the pub first. If you're going away somewhere, you meet at the pub first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. And I think... Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, there being a lot more wide range of soft drinks available and it being much more socially normal to be out for four hours not drinking as well I think really helps that too I've got an interesting event coming up sober punks meeting in the afternoon being sober in the pub I love it yeah I I love being drunk and sober in the pub yeah Um, it used to be called straight edge so yeah well I think they're maybe trying to sound a little less hardcore than that yeah don't ever get the tattoos if you don't know yourself straight edge um but yeah that's you know it's, it's still it's there and they're still desperate to do it in the pub it's something they've been really keen on they want it to be in Gulliver's because oh. we have a little bit of a punk community around it as well um 
Even though it's not the alcohol they're after, it's the community. Well, that's why people you know. don't drink it. People, it's not, pubs aren't all about the booze, really. For me, it's, in, in the Eagle, they're not really that much about the booze, even though we have lovely booze. <laughs> um, it, it's more about coming out and, and drink, drinking out in a pub as opposed to at home is obviously more expensive, but it's not necessarily just to meet your friends. It's like you don't know who's going to turn up. You don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. And it's a completely different thing. Thank goodness, or else we'd all be alcoholics and have no friends. <laughs> I guess it's not that long ago, and I can remember, I mean, um, certainly back in the 70s, um, my mum will talk about it a lot. That actually, being, being a woman on your own going into a pub was just something that you just didn't do, mm. with, with a few very rare exceptions. In, in the more bohemian areas of cities, yeah, when, I when think, you're, when um, a student, you might... But it was still actually quite a radical gesture to go on your own. Well, in some places in Greater Manchester, they still get some funny looks. I can imagine. Yeah, (laughs) and I still think there's a difference between the women that come in on their own and the men that come in on their own. Generally, the women tend to um, be waiting for somebody. They generally aren't just in there to drink by themselves, I think. Uh, I mean, they're at least comfortable enough to do that. Tend to be reading a book on the phone, in a newspaper. Yeah, you bring a prop. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I do that. I yeah. always take a book or a paper if I'm going out on my own. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there is a still, I think, a slight difference between being... You generally have less women who just come every night to see who's there. Is, is that because the men probably are likely to see somebody that they know in the community? Yeah, and, I think and, so. Or a I mean, certainly, when I, when if I go... Uh, I'm on an overnighter because of a meeting or whatever. I'll tend to go to a pub to have a couple of pints. I'll ha- usually have a book with me, mm-hmm. but we'll quickly stop reading it because I'm more interested in earwigging the conversations <laughs> that are going on. Yeah, just and, because and we're holding the book. Guy next to me, it's just yeah. <laughs> like, just because we're holding the book doesn't mean we're reading yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely right. It's just to ward off any unwanted attention yeah. when yeah. it happens. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about um, your customers because um, I guess I mean particularly Gulliver's. Uh, there's a huge number of residents around now, but 10 years ago, there were only about 40, I should think, residents yeah. in that local area. Yeah. Um, what, what about the population around you? Who, who are the people who come in regularly? Well, we started off with pretty much no crowd at the beginning because the one that was there didn't like us. It must have just been <laughs> such a hopeful moment. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's wonderfully diverse, actually, and more regulars than than quite a lot of other pubs. And it, there's not a massively transient crowd. There is more so now with the, the gigs getting busier because people will come to Eagle to go to that gig. Not They won't be in the Eagle and then just decide to go to the gig. Um, so there's there's lots of new flats going up around us. Very, very slowly, people are drip, like coming in from them. Uh, and then we're right near loads of sort of ex-council tower blocks too, which, is, which were traditionally in that area of Salford, quite a bohemian crowd too, a lot of... Um, homosexuals and all that kind of stuff um they were they were sort of like the first basis of our crowd really and then there's a sort of another bit of a council estate too with some a slightly different type of people um but it and then we've got some art studios around the corner at the moment i think we're all gonna have to move out soon but there are there are various art, artist studios in the area and obviously got the studios at the end of the road blueprint studios people going to band practice and then coming in afterwards as well it's just quite interesting really and then there are the dedicated camera members who have walked there for three miles from somewhere else to go to another obscure pub because because i've been here before um mark the observer's book of 
Yes, ticking it off their list. Yes, I, do. I was quite excited. I had my first ever official camera meeting held in Gulliver's yesterday, well and that was pretty exciting for me. Yeah. Actually, I was like, everybody be their most charming selves. I've only had two in six years. Yeah. yeah. Do, they, do they still all have beards? Or? Uh, no, maybe. <laughs> not More the ladies. Than, not the ladies anymore. No. Yeah. And, and not those trendy hipster. Ones, no, 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 no beard, they are beer beards. Beer beards. Um, and I guess. The main thing, it's quite hard, like you said, there, I do have regulars, there are residents in the area, um, but it's really hard to pinpoint who's a resident or who's working in the city. I, I do have a bit of like a I ask everybody. Crowd. Yeah, she's <laughs> nosy. Um, but what are you doing here? Why are you the, here? The main thing is, is the difference in like just ages. So I have, you know, people who are clearly students um, who aren't afraid of paying a little bit more money to go to a decent pub, uh, up to 80-year-old uh, men who come in every day and drink like drink their pints of Guinness quietly and happily um, mm. and potter around the city seeing the different pubs every day seeing the different staff every day it's nice isn't it yeah. I love having a wide range like mm-hmm. I'm sure we were one night I was sort of stood in the eagle and I was thinking right in there is the monthly all things considered folk night and then there's the cribbage club over there <laughs> and then there's uh, some beekeepers association meeting out the- this is just marvellous <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have um, the Pensioners Union Guild meet uh, once a month now. That's lovely. They just come in, have their cups of tea, talk. Uh, it's mainly, I think, a little bit of a gossip about their old days, but also um, just making sure that they're still in the community. You know, they're still making a difference for people. But you wouldn't um, do that in a bar or a coffee shop, really, would you? You'd, no, you'd exactly. You'd have to do that in a pub. Yeah. Otherwise, you're in an OAP centre, which yeah. is like, not entirely the same Essentially, thing. Essentially, yeah. I mean, loads yeah, of pubs like are... I said, it's not that they're drinking beer, they're all having tea or coffee, but they're mm. doing it in the pub. I, that's, I, I, love, I love that whole attitude change, that it's mm. perfectly fine to drink soft drinks in the pub all day. Because obviously, we, we're responsible licensees. You know, people are going to get drunk, and that's really good fun. But sometimes that's not a good idea for people. It doesn't mean they can't join in. And... Gone are the days where, you know, people call you a massive pussy or to go home if you want to lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in fact, you don't have to have lemonade anymore. Yeah. You can have many things. Many designer lemonades as well. <laughs> um, I do have a designer lemonade, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous. Um, so in, ter- in terms of more generally, um, what do you think is happening in terms of the, of the pub and the bar scene and the, particularly, I guess, the live music scene? I mean, you're both, make, both making a success of your live music stuff while live music venues elsewhere are, are closing. So how do you make them work? Um, and what's your general feeling about what's happening in that area? Um, you make them work with support. That's from the promoters. So like I said, there's a bit of a punk community around uh, Gulliver's and they are very keen to support their local venues because they're afraid of them all closing down. The brewery are obviously supporting to me. The city in general, Manchester and the Northern Quarter has a thriving music scene. It doesn't seem to matter how many music venues open. Nobody else is closing down because of it in that yeah, area. there's still enough people to go yeah, around, aren't there? <laughs> um, you know, the gig goers, people who want to see it, like they're the support for it as well. Um, so I don't think we can take that much credit for it. Like I said, not ripping people off so they still want to use you works mm. too. I think maybe it depends. I think it's harder for the bigger venues, actually. Like, your big room's 100 and... 100. 100 capacity. Uh, mine's 70. Uh, and you've got the smaller one too. But I think once you get up to sort of 150, 200, I think that probably is the medium-sized venue that is probably harder. Yeah, you can't have a gig where 60 people turn up in like, a room like that. You ha- no. It's much harder to... to get the right stuff for that mm-hmm. and much more expensive to run obviously um and then a few venues are shutting down but that's because of 
like so sound control's now gone but that was because of the railway. Yeah. Starangato is still supposedly going to be, I, th- I feel like Starangato will be there in a million years. <laughs> still saying. That still saying they're going to shut. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I guess the support of the other venues, we don't not see each other as massive competition. Mm. We're on, we're on each other's sides. You know, if someone needs to borrow something, we're all all there for yeah. each other. And we have little meetings between some of us, don't we? Yeah. Like, just a bit of a chinwag, like, let's help each other out. We're actually trying to, like, hopefully develop that a little bit more and make it more of a structured thing to help support each other in case the uh, boom that Manchester's music industry seems to be happening right now runs out. Runs out. <laughs> yeah. Some sort of, like, guild or community, yeah. Yeah, something thing. where we, we're, strong, we're stronger together. Obviously, there is an issue with there being a lot of residents and a lot of noise. Um, I'm not saying... You know, behind me, for example, there's a bunch of red bricks that have been there a lot longer than the music venue. So it's not always a case of, well, don't move into the city if you don't want the noise. Some people have been there longer than we have. Mm. Um, and, and trying to help, you know, listen to the residents, mm. work alongside them. Um, Just be reasonable. Be reasonable, you know. Um, to avoid all these night and day type problems that that they've been having again with noise complaints. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, that's definitely something I'm probably going to have in the future because within the next five years it's highly likely that I will be surrounded like next door t- to loads more residents <laughs> as in literally next door <laughs> yeah. so I'll probably have to change the way we sort of operate a little bit but hopefully the le- new legislation going through that actually yeah. puts the onus on the developer to yeah. make sure that they are being controlled yes exactly properly acoustically insulated I'm not worried but I think you know maybe, maybe there'll be a cause to open earlier I don't until three o'clock most days now because there's no need to maybe we, we just shut a bit earlier too that would be nice for me um <laughs> But there's a bit of an attitude at the moment, like, while we're in a building site, have fun, <laughs> make noise. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then, personally, and both for your businesses, sort of where do you see yourselves going over the next five years? Have you got plans for your venues that you want you want to um, play out? I'm not sure it works that way. I didn't plan to get here. No, I didn't really. It just sort of happened. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to legitimise my lifestyle for a bit and thought, that, yeah. that's a bit silly. Did you do that in your 20s? You said, I ask, occasionally ask questions of other people in the industry, like, how did you get there? And again, most of them are like, we Don't... just, I just ended up here. I started off doing this mm-hmm. and now I'm here. I, do, I can't really tell you the trajectory. Mm. <laughs> well, very few people have think, oh, when I'm older, I want to work loads of hours in a scrubby pub and love it. Um, I think they may be my, I know you said your dad was, you know, a bit uh, uncomfortable. I think many dads might be like, my daughter owns a pub. That's the dream. That's cool. Yes. Well, my father says, <laughs> yes, my, daughter, my, my father says my daughter has a music venue yeah. rather than a pub. <laughs> Do you, do you link up with the churches in your local area? Um, I've got a good re- working relationship with the uh, Sacred Trinity. Uh, Andy Salmon, the Rev there, is a very cool guy because um, that's a very community-oriented pub, uh, church. <laughs> Ooh, very similar. Well, my dad says we have sort of similar jobs. He's a vicar. Um, so it's a, that's a very community-based pub anyway. They have lots of art stuff going on and meetings. and It makes sense. Mm. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you well, to Stephanie and Esther. It's been a pleasure. Uh, use your local pubs. As we said a couple of weeks back when we were interviewing Dave Haslam, use your local bookshop. This one, use your local pubs. Always very good. Uh, it's probably easier to use your local pubs because you know, ordering alcohol off well, the interwebs. It's or nip to your local bookshop, buy a book, take it to your local pub. Exactly. Combine these two things. Yeah, would be, would buy be Dave Haslam's new book, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next time up, we'll be talking to John McGrath of Manchester International Festival with about a year to go for the next one. Uh, if you want to, please leave us a review. Well, even if you don't want to, please leave us a review and make sure it's a good one because uh, that always helps us. We're available on all good podcast services and we'll be back very soon. Thank you very much. <laughs>